You are listening to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Globoforce, bringing more humanity to today's workplaces. You are enjoying our special edition coverage recorded live from Phoenix, Arizona, and Work Human 17. And now, here are today's hosts. All right. Good morning and welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schneck, joined by my friend and colleague, Rayanne Thorne, kicking off day two hey, of Todd. our exclusive yes. coverage from uh, Work Human 17. Day one was stellar. What's it was great it conversation. It was so wonderful. We, we spoke to so many great people, and I have a feeling day two is going to be just as good, if not better. We have a, uh, a full slate today. It's we going do. to be a uh, busy day. Uh, we, we are the luckiest ones here getting to chat with all these we amazing <laughs> people doing amazing things. It's, we get uh, to make them stop. They have to stop and think for a bit where everybody else, they're passing and greeting, you know. Well, so. I, uh, I have a feeling they love to sit down and just talk about things that are important to them uh, and sure. the important contribution they're making. You know, and it's a, it's a great privilege for us to be a big part of helping promote and push this movement, this work human movement. Yeah. So uh, a real pleasure for us. Well, let's get to it. And we're joined this morning by Chuck Blakeman. He is an entrepreneur and the founder of the Crankset Group. Chuck, welcome to the show. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. It's good to be with you. I appreciate uh, you getting up bright and early to spend some time with us and well, kick somebody off. Somebody had the, to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you drew the short straw. So, uh, gosh, if our interview is as interesting and fun as our pre-show banter, it promises to be a cool conversation. Uh, before we get into our important discussion, uh, take a quick second, Chuck, and tell us a bit about you, your background, and the work that you're doing at Crankset. Sure. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, my life vision is to do the question, why do what others can and will do when there's so much to be done that others can't or won't? So we fill in the blanks. That's what entrepreneurs do. And, and uh, I'm, I'm committed to, we're committed to taking us back where we came from before the industrial age factory system dehumanized work Oh. and took everybody's brain away. So our mission statement is to rehumanize the workplace by giving everybody their brain back. Outstanding. I like that. Yeah. I like that. So what, one of the questions that was thrown at us to throw at you was um, is is there something that people don't know about you? And I'm a little I'm a little concerned, a little trepidatious <laughs> when I ask this question. I understand but we are regulated by the FCC. Yeah, yeah so you I have understand. to be you have to be careful well, how you answer. But no, I'd love it, to know. It's not that bad, and everybody knows I'm bald, so that's easy. <laughs> but no, but this I'm, is radio, so my, now they know. My background is actually music. I don't have any business background. Um, I barely graduated from high school. Uh, I graduated in the bottom 20 out of about 520, and I, they had me in the high school uh, principal's office the day of graduation deciding whether they'd let me go <laughs> and I think the consensus was hey if we don't let him go we're going to have him for another year so let's get him the heck out of here <laughs> it took me 19 years to get a bachelor's degree uh, I had no interest in it uh, I'm ADHD dyslexic I didn't know this crap when I was a kid right. which is good because then I didn't use it as a victimology thing sure. but, but yeah it's, I'm left-handed I'm right-brained I'm all the things that you don't do in business and I think that causes me to see the world differently I never approached a business I started my first business in my 20s and I just did it what, what seemed to work, rather than looking around and saying, what should I do? And as a result, uh, I've done things differently from that day forward, and that's really how we've gotten where we are, having uh, done 10 businesses in seven different continent, or seven different industries on three continents. I just, uh, just did it my way, and my friends would ask me, what are you doing? And then I'd start to teach them how to do it that way. And after a while, I got insecure and thought, well, maybe I should find out if this is actually valid to do this this way. And so I began to research what we were doing. And... And realized that we were going in a way that we that all of business should go. And I, I, I fall back on Einstein for this stuff, even though I'm not an academic. The, the, he said the mind that created the problem is not the mind that will solve it. And I think that's why the music thing works for, for me. It's sure. Innovation rarely comes from within. And so I just I come from outside of business. And for the last 40 years, I've run business with a musician's head. 
Well, it's amazing I to me. I love this. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. It's amazing to me how many people in business don't look at things differently. And I think that's therein lies part of the problem oh, and why we're so stuck in these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I love what you said that that part of your work and your mission is to wrestle us out of this industrial mindset, mm-hmm. this 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 path that we feel like we are just destined to be on, and and we're so there's still far to too many trudge along. It's trudging yeah. along the path. There's still far too many organizations that are stuck in that old rut, and and they, and stripping away the humanity from this stuff. Yeah. How how much? What's it going to take to finally break free? Then I mean, it's going to be a long battle. I suspect. Yeah, the data is getting us there, and uh, and millennials will pull us out of it. Uh, I think that uh, we call this the participation age, and I think in the participation age, we're going to see things very differently in the way we go forward. Uh, the the uh, what we're talking about is is basically going back where we came from before the industrial age factory system wrecked work. Before that, it was human. You know, people, people spent five, ten years working for somebody else to figure out how to become a shoesmith or a blacksmith or a silversmith or run a farm. And then they went out and they ran their own and they had a brain and they knew what time to get up and what time to go to work and what to do when they were there. And all of a sudden, when we got into a factory, none of that applied. You, you didn't, you couldn't, you had no idea what time to come to work. They had to tell you what time to or come. Or to leave. Or to leave. Because you were or, enclosed in a... Or what time recess was. Right, you know, they right. call it a break. But it's a, you know, it's, we treat kids, people like seven seven-year-olds at work. So we want to take people back where we came from. We're not, everything I present sounds radical and sounds forward and future thinking. And the reality of it is we're just going to take people back where we came from when we had brains at work. And the, the, the data on this is that 90 plus percent of 80 to 90 plus percent of free people throughout the history of the world owned their own business until the industrial age. Uh, self-management is in our DNA, and that's the core of what we teach is we teach the elimination of managers, get rid of managers, No, nobody works for anybody, they work on teams, no one person can fire anybody, no one person can hire anybody, and we, we, we trust that people are actually adults at work and will actually do this, and we've got examples and companies with up to 65,000 people who have no managers, so this is not a new thing, the data is going to get us there. Good. Can I come work for you? Are you hiring? Absolutely. He said no one hires, so we just show up. I think okay. we just show up. No, everybody hires. <laughs> oh, everybody hires. No, it's no one person. The team hires. hires. I That's like right. It. And the team fires. I like. Oh well. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can't fool your peers. You Darn can it. fool your manager, but your peers. That's not very so much. true. That's yep. very true. So you you are actually doing a session here. Thank you. You're actually doing a session here at Work Human 17 in Phoenix, uh-huh. where we are located right now. The emerging work in the participation age. And you just brought to our attention the participation age. What role does crowdsourcing or crowdsource feedback? And and I'm going to throw in crowdsourced recognition. Is that is that right? Sure. Crowdsourced recognition play yeah. in the participation age. It's it's central, and that's why we talk about self management as a core principle of actually moving work forward. It will be. Somewhere between five and twenty years from now, this will all be a big, duh, giant uh, uh, education uh, uh, places like like Harvard and those kind of places. They'll all be teaching this stuff as the core of how you run a business five to twenty years from now. So the data is all on our side, but crowdsourcing that's a fancy i don't like fancy i call it business buzzword bingo uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've found a few of those <laughs> yeah but uh we we rely on the wisdom of crowds 
Uh, there's a book out there called The Wisdom of Crowds. It's been out there for 10 or so years, 15 years, and it's a fascinating book on how people together get it right. If there's enough diversity in the crowd and enough uh, freedom to, to share your opinion, there might be 10 people, and three of them will get it incredibly badly wrong, and three will get it very right. But as a, as a group, the group gets it right. And there's a fascinating, a lot of fascinating research on that, that when you put people in teams Teams get stuff right when one genius couldn't. That's the premise of the wisdom of crowds. That you put 10 people in one room with one genius and the other nine know nothing about the topic and then you put 10 geniuses in the other room who all know the topic, 90% of the time you'll get a better answer from the, the nine people who knew nothing with the one genius because they have a they, they bring an entirely different perspectives to the thing. They're dumb enough to ask good questions. <laughs> all that good stuff happens. So crowdsourcing is, is critical to this, but it's also, it's, that's, that's sort of a benefit to the business. We need to back up and say, well, what does this do for the people? And the participation age is about two things, participation and sharing. People want to participate in building great companies and they want to share in the result. And we want people to participate. We don't want to share. So please become more engaged. There's people making millions of dollars out there in, on engagement stuff and trying to get you more engaged so that I can suck more life out of you so that I can make more money. Uh-huh. And people see the hypocrisy in that, even if they can't express it, it just doesn't make sense. So engagement is really the, at the core of this crowdsourcing stuff. And here's the, here's the miserable stats, and I'll start my talk with this this morning. I follow the Gallup surveys every month. They have a, a monthly survey on this stuff, on engagement. 30% of people at work, 30 to 32% of people at work are actively engaged. 68 to 70% are phoning it in. 51% right now in the month of June, 51% of everyone at work in America is actively looking for a job. Looking for another job. And 86% would rather be doing something else if you dropped something else in your lap. So that means 24% of them are too lazy to look for a job. The other 51 or 23%, the other 51 are actually looking. I mean, this is not... If you had a machine that worked at 30%, would you just say, well, you know, what are you going to do? It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't do that. You'd unplug it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you, you'd, you'd, you'd oil it. You'd take it apart. You'd put it back together. Right. You'd hug it. You'd do whatever you could <laughs> to make the damn thing work. And if you couldn't make it work then, you would replace, replace wow. it because you know how expensive it is to replace a machine. Well, we don't. The, the expense of replacing someone is somewhere between a half and eight times the annual salary of that human being. And we just put up with it. So crowdsourcing reduces that exponentially. I can show you companies in the manufacturing space where the average turnover is 35% and theirs is one. Wegmans, 38% in the grocery space and their turnover is 3%. Now you want to talk about a profitability uh, perspective and uh, those companies have no managers. And so you, you you eliminate the management tax, people who don't do work, who just are on your payroll, and you, minim- you, you get rid of the, uh, the uh, uh, people leaving tax. So it's a huge benefit. Crowdsourcing isn't really about trying to get people to... Uh, it's, the benefit of the company is a secondary thing. You end up with a lot smarter company with a lot more innovation, and, and it's all bubbling from the bottom up, but it's because you gave everybody their brain back, and you gave them both the permission and the requirement to use their brains, and it has to be both. Because after 200 years, some people actually don't want to use their brains. Well, there are, there are far too many people in management that don't want their people participating in the way that I'm understanding here. They don't want them engaged. They, they want them to do the job that they Shall were ordered to do. Sure. 
and then you can clock out at five. Yeah. How do you begin to shift those mindsets? Because they're, they're, they're back in that rut we were talking right. about at the top of the show, this industrial. Yeah. How do you begin to, and you, part of your answer was, well, show them data, but even we, we, no, that's we not know enough. this, but it's yeah. still not moving. No, how, how else do you fight well, that? Well, first of all, you don't start with the unwilling. You, start with, you work with the willing. Oh, yeah. And so the way to change the unwilling is you work with the willing, and they see the success, and they look over the wall and say, hey, what the heck? What are you doing? Universi- they're, they're beating us, right? Yeah. You, uh, Apollo Education, giant corporation that owns University of Phoenix as one of its holdings, and inside the University of Phoenix is one 80-person call center that is self-managed. There are no managers. The person who runs the, the, the division doesn't call herself the director. The whole thing is in self-managed teams. It is the best, uh, it has the best data in every way of everything in all of, in, of Apollo education. Highest retention, highest profitability, highest growth, all of that stuff. And so you start with those and then people begin to look over the wall from the other divisions or the other p- places in, in Apollo and say, hey, what's going on over there? And so you just work with the willing to begin with because working with the unwilling doesn't work. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the same old stuff, early adapters, middle adapters, late adapters. Yeah. Just start with the willing. There's plenty of people out there who want to do this. Yep. And you don't want to deal with the ego, the control mindsets, all that stuff. If you think of this, uh, what is the most human of questions? And you know, who, what, when, where, how, and why? The one that an animal will never ask is why. Why am I going to eat this? <laughs> Right. Yeah. But that's the most human of questions. What's the one question that, to your point, has been disallowed for the last 200 years at work? Yep. Why? Right. Don't ask I me why. Because so. I told you so. Right. Shut up. Sit down. I'm your boss. That's right. Shut up. Sit down. Don't make waves. Live invisibly and go out quietly. That's the industrial age mindset. We think the industrial age was over in 1970, only in the back office. In the front office, it's still guys and ties telling everybody else what to do because I told you so, because... Up front, it's easier, but what it creates is codependence and a lack of engagement. So crowdsourcing isn't the the answer. It's or it's it's not the uh, result. It's part of the it's it's part of the solution. It's part of the process itself. Let's get everybody involved, but you can't get them involved unless you want to share. And that's the second tenet of the participation: is you damn well better want to be involved in uh, profit sharing and incentive programs and capitalism. The key to this is to turn everybody at work into a capitalist. If I invent something, I should get a piece of it. You know, I think of the guy who invented the sticky note at 3M. By mistake, he was looking for glue and it wouldn't, the darn stuff wouldn't dry. And he invented this stuff. And I'm sure he got a Starbucks card or, a, or an Attaboy or something. And they're making hundreds of millions right. of dollars off of this for years after. No, man, what, what if they'd have given him a piece of the business? And, you know, you own 10% of this. What would that have signaled to everybody else who works at 3M? Hey, I got a reason to actually go find new stuff. Almost all innovation comes from very new, very young companies for that very reason, because there's nothing in it for me once I get into my Dilbert uh, box. Mm-hmm. You, you said something earlier about the millennials are going to be the ones that, that take us into this. They're going to be the ones that... Yep. So wh- why do you believe that? I, I have millennials for children, so yeah, I too. believe you. Me too. <laughs> I believe you. So yeah. um, what, what is your reasoning? Yeah, people throw stones at millennials saying they don't want a job. They absolutely I love them. They so, do not yeah. want a job. They want work. And the difference is that a job only pays the bills. A job is about money. I go to work to make money, and that's what I was taught as an industrial mm-hmm. age baby Go to work to make money. You don't have to be happy at work. Stop trying to be happy at work. Get your money and get the heck out of there and use that to build a life somewhere else. Right. Well, millennials did not grow up in the shadow of the industrial age. Industrial age. They were not taught to shut up, sit down, don't make waves, live invisibly, and go out quietly. 
They've been asking why. And we, we told exactly them to. Exactly what yeah. they're doing is And we told why. them to. Yeah. yeah. And so we created this. And so it's in their blood. And secondly, they also have, it's the first generation, whether you like it or not, it's the first generation in the history of man where you wake up as a baby and someone could take care of you the rest of your life. There is no, we call it the three S's of the, of the industrial age, safety, security, and stability. That's what my mom taught me to chase. Well, where are those on Maslow's hierarchy? Mm. Lower, middle to bottom. Right. But see, my mom was looking up at the bottom from a, as a depression baby. She didn't have safety. She didn't have security or stability. So, so she those, was just looking there to get to the foundation. Those look like nirvana to her. But in the participation age, there's another S, significance. The fourth S mm. is significance. I want to chase significance. And that's what millennials are doing. They've got the first three in place pretty much when they're born. And now they're going to the higher things in humanity. I want to make meaning, not just money. And so if you offer me work... Work is meaningful. If you offer me a job, I'm not interested. Well, there's a two-part front on the battle of significance. One is, as an employee of an organization, you you deserve that. You should want that. You should yearn for that. And so provide some counsel on how someone who's stuck in this industrial structure and, and they're not getting that, how do they find that? And two, management's responsible to provide that why, the, the meaning, the significance. So how do you, if your organization is, is in that old rut, how do you begin to, to push that and make that something possible in the organization? Yeah, it, it, it always starts with belief systems. And I know this sounds like a bunch of woo-woo crap, you know, HR woo-woo crap. I'm not an HR guy, frankly. But uh, this is not woo-woo crap. What do you believe? That determines everything. Douglas McGregor wrote a book in 1960. This isn't new stuff. In 1960, he wrote a book called The Human Side of Enterprise. And in that book, he took some old theory from uh, Frederick Taylor from 1911 called Scientific Management. And Frederick Taylor postulated that, that the, the average worker, he, he, he uh, defined the average worker with two fatal assumptions. Fatal assumption number one, people are stupid. Quote, mm. A quote from the paper, the average employee is so stupid they more resemble the ox than any other type, 1911. And then second fatal assumption is people are lazy and that they will only work so hard as to not get fired. He called it soldiering. And so if that's true, then how do you solve that problem? The only way to solve that is to find a very few smart and motivated people, lord them over the stupid and lazy ones to force them to work, and thus management was born. Management's a new thing. Leadership's been around for thousands of years. Management is a factory system artifact. And so Douglas McGregor looked at these two things and he said, okay, that's theory X. People are stupid and lazy. What about this? Let's try theory Y. People are smart and motivated. If people are smart and motivated or people are stupid and lazy, his theory was basically whichever one you pick is a self-fulfilling prophecy and you'll make it come true. It is about leadership's belief. I love uh, uh, in... Uh, uh, Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth, in the, in the epilogue, he says, uh, when, you, when, you quit, when you quit working for the man, you do so because you're so frustrated with all the chaos that the guy has in his business. And you commit that you will never have the same chaos in your business. And you don't. You have an entirely different brand of chaos. Yep. Because the chaos <laughs> wasn't in his business. It was in, in his head. And it just worked out in his business. And it's true, and, I, and I'll show it in my workshop today. There are 100-plus companies with 1,000 to 65,000 people, no managers, uh, self-managed teams, wisdom of crowds, crowdsourcing. It's all a part of this. And they've been doing this for up to 65-plus years. This is, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy because W.L. Gore, the guy who invented Gore-Tex, he decided in 1958 when he and Vivian started their business in their basement that people are smart and motivated. 
And so off he goes. And I'll show you others that have converted to that. So this is where it has to start. And when any, I get calls from corporations and say, hey, come fix us. What they really mean is come give us a, a do some consulting and leave behind a three inch binder about some processes that we can do. <laughs> and it won't work. That we won't do. <laughs> that we won't yeah, do we because won't do the reason you have the problems is because you're thinking incorrectly about the people. For instance, management versus leadership. We don't even know what the difference is anymore. And the fact is they're radically different things. I write for Inc. Magazine and I wrote an article three years ago the, that managers and leaders have nothing in common. Mm. Nothing. And we've lost that. I was looking at Harvard Business Review stuff this morning and they tried to sell me a book. And the, bo the title of the book was A Manager's Handbook, 17 Skills to Be a Better Leader. <laughs> I mean, which is it? Leader or manager? We don't know anymore. They're yeah. radically different things. People need leadership. They do not need management. Well, the problem is most people think those are the same thing. And that there is the issue. Yeah. I want to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. You alluded to something at the top of the show where the you know, pre-industrial age where someone would spend seven to ten years learning a craft, learning a skill. It's the apprenticeship. Yeah. Right. I'm reading uh, Robert Greene's book, Mastery, right now. Okay. And he talks about the apprenticeship, obviously. And, and all the masters that we talk about and study. The Leonardo da Vinci's, the Michelangelo's, they all apprenticed. Yeah. Now, I don't know that we're going to get a millennial to spend seven to ten years learning a skill. But I, I'm just curious is the, the concept of what an apprenticeship's about yeah. in terms of diving in and really learning something that you care about and becoming really good at it to where you can change the world with that. Is there, is there a way to encapsulate, to bring that into our workplaces today, the idea of this apprenticeship. And sure. Is there some way to do that? I'm just curious. Sure. The Germans have been doing it for years. Uh, they have a, a system, fancy German word, long German word, I can't remember the name of it, but it basically is uh, middle companies, smaller companies that have worked really hard at developing a, uh, a base of that, and then an education system that's focused on teaching people technical skills, not just uh, uh, educational stuff. And they have the best, one of the best economies in the world. Uh, and, and their small business economy is, is incredible. But the, the principle here to me would be the Socratic method. Mm. Uh, bring that back and let's teach people how to ask questions. Mm. Ask them questions and teach them how to ask questions. Again, we, we've, there's so much we think we understand that is so broken and education would be one of those. The ancient Greek for the word education actually means to draw out what do we do with people? We fill them up. We assume they are empty. And my job as a professor is to give you the proper things to talk about and all the right perspective. I'm just going to tell you. So it's, we've lost the Socratic method. It's all about telling. And managers tell, leaders ask. And so that would be principle number one. Stop telling people what to do and ask them, what do you think you should do? and see what you get. Mm -hmm. so much I here. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. You'd be so pleasant, pleasantly surprised that 80 to 90%, just like throughout history, would actually like to be adults at work if you would let them. Give mm -hmm. them their brains back. <laughs> yep, yep. So it's all it's about. definitely a there, there. There's a there, there. <laughs> Chuck, we're about out of time. Uh, before we let you go, should anyone have any questions of you? Should they want to learn about the work at Crankset? How do they find you? Uh, ChuckBlakeman.com, or they can email Krista at Crankset Group. K-R-I-S-T-A at Crankset, C-R-A-N-K-S-E-T, cranksetgroup.com. All right. Chuck Blakeman, an entrepreneur and the founder of the Crankset Group. Chuck, real pleasure to have you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks. for stopping by and joining us. This was a blast. Thank it you. It was indeed. All right. All the time we have for now, Todd and Rayanne signing off from Phoenix. We'll see you again soon on Work Human Radio. 
Work Human Radio is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the work human movement. Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting Globoforce.com and join the work human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.